Welcome to Money Making Sense, the show that talks about all things money. Today, we are going to talk about some of the steps you might want to think about if you're losing a loved one. And joining me today is Brad Barrett. He is a partner and managing director at One Capital Management. So welcome to the show, Brad. Oh, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. So you deal a lot with retirement, like if I'm trying to save for retirement and steps I need to do. But you also recently came out with this checklist for someone who might be losing a loved one. Mm -hmm. And that really interested me because I'm going through that at the moment. So why don't you tell tell us a little bit about how this checklist came about for you? It's interesting in, in, in doing our shows weekly, the, we have a podcast called the Make Your Money Matter Show. And I tend to, and it's been going on for about three or four years now, I tend to bring in weekly items that I've been dealing with with clients from, say, the week prior. So it was a cathartic event that was happening in a client's life, and um, they were uh, younger. So I think one of the things I've noticed in nearly two decades of being an advisor is when a parent passes and and they're younger, in their 50s, 60s, and, and you know, at that point... Uh, my client was in their 30s and 40s, it, it's a little bit harder for them. Obviously, they have the emotional side, which we'll talk about. There's a whole stages of grief and all that kind of stuff going on. But then like the pragmatic side kicks in. And so this checklist, I just kind of ran down with them and I started writing it down as if I were saying it to them live. And I just the next week, it was on my heart to to share it. And um, we do those episodes like for you and you kind of heard it and it's a cathartic event you know, in most people's lives. And I even started off that podcast and I said, Hey, you know, this is kind of a morbid discussion, but unfortunately death and taxes are kind of the two things we know are for sure going to happen in our life and hopefully later, but I wanted to be out there um, for everybody to at least, yeah, be able to use as a, as a frame of reference. Right. So you started this with a client who was in their thirties or forties, which, Mm -hmm. you know, a lot of us think we don't need to worry about that yet. You know, your parent, most people's parents when you're 30 or 40 are still on the youngish in this day and age people are living longer and longer so when should we start making our own checklist for in in that eventuality that parents or you know even an older sibling or something is going to pass away that it's a great question and that's always hard because we just you know the one the one thing that god all gave us right is we don't tomorrow's not guaranteed right so you think about that is unfortunately I've had friends and clients and I'm sure many of us can think we've had friends who've lost their parents when they were in their teens or or younger. Right. And they're just not even remotely prepared for it. So it's always hard to put a number or an age on it, but I always say if you're fortunate enough to have family members in particular parents that are, are still living and breathing and walking this earth and you're stepping into a marriage or maybe a marriage and having your first child, I think that's a really good event in your life to take some stock, take some time and be like, okay, if something happened to me, acting as if I were the parents, I need to get my estate in order, if you will. And then, you know, that's a really great transition in season. I think timing is everything in conversations like this. When we talk to like inner family conversations around finances, which is always a real touchy thing for, mm-hmm. I speak on that a lot, right? When do you, you know, when do you teach your kids about education? And, and, and I think that was a show you just had recently too, right? Yeah. And so these are all, it's a, it's an interesting dynamic, right? Is the inner family conversations around almost like a, a taboo subject matter of money. But I think when you get married and have your first child is a really good time to kind of look up and down, right? Taking care of your family in you know your immediate family, as well as having the conversation with mom and dad saying, hey, you know, I'm, I'm putting this together for, you know, my wife and, and, and your grandchildren. And, you know, walk me through some of your goals that you have with your estate or, or what you have written in your trust. And I know it's a weird thing, but I think it's that essentially to me kicks off a very healthy conversation and ultimately like a 
kind of a checklist along the years of, of things to know about when it comes to, you know, inheriting money or dealing with a, a parent's estate. So I have had this situation where several years ago, I tried talking to my mother about her will or like what she wants to do. And I don't know if I just caught her on a bad day or something. She's like, oh, I just don't want to talk about that. And she... She was not going to talk to me. And then yeah. skip ahead a few years. I just received in the mail a year ago the copy of their wills. And apparently it's the very first will that my parents have ever put together. And my mother was 79 at the time. And my stepdad was 93. So <laughs> I'm yeah. like, this is your first you know, will? <laughs> I, I will say this, Heather. You're not alone in that. I mean, I, I, I'll give you my story. It's funny. My, I do this for a living, right? I'm not an estate planning attorney, but as a financial advisor, you know, I always tell my clients, like, we're kind of like the quarterback. You know, if you think about it from a sports analogy and we have to have a running back, which is your estate planning attorney, a wide receiver to receive the ball, maybe your CPA or insurance broker. But we're kind of your your center point. Right. And so dealing with this as kind of quarterbacking it for a client, helping them and walking through the checklist of, OK, now's the time to talk to your CPA. Now's the time to talk to your state planning attorney, so on and so forth. I have my dad's love language is sports always has been, always will be. Right. And so I'm not a huge golfer, but he is. So I go golfing with him three or four times a year and I love it. And over the past few years, that's actually interesting. I brought it up because I'm in the season of having younger kids. I got married 10 years ago. My son's eight, my daughter's six. And we're in that season right now where I'm taking care of my stuff and I'm doing what I preach and said, hey, dad, you know, and, and like you, um, he's on his third marriage. So we have a, a new wife involved a couple of years ago. She's amazing, very much love her. But like, I'm just want to understand what are his wishes for me and my sisters and his grandkids. And honestly, it was the same thing. He will not talk about it. Now, in his case, I've actually kind of joked with him. He's um, He doesn't like talking about morbidity. It, it, it's, it's not a conversation that he's comfortable with. It has nothing to do with the money aspect. I just think it, it means that he's passed, and I'm not sure he's come to grips with that yet. So everyone has their different dynamics with their conversations with their parents. So it's interesting you had that with your mom. I mean, it was basically the same thing with my dad. And I'm like, I'm telling my friends and my clients even, I'm very open. I'm like, I'm a financial advisor and I'm also dealing with this in my, he knows what I do for a living, you know, and it's <laughs> right, still like, right. it's kind of, in, it's ironic in a way. Yeah. I have gotten the feeling recently because my mother's has a, a lethal illness mm. and trying to make sure that all of her stuff is in order and what does she want me to do and all that. And I'm not sure if she thinks I'm trying to hasten her demise <laughs> yeah. so I can get the money, but th that is not it. Like, I just want to make sure I don't care if I get the money or not. I just want to make sure that I know what to do with it. Yeah. What I realized and I've done this for long enough now, is I think it's generational. We have to remember, we're one generation away from the Great Depression era. And our parents, our grandparents were raised either through the Great Depression or from their parents, which is a very important thing to consider here. Remember the nurture nature yeah. environment. We're born the way we are, but we're also raised in an environment and in a time period that we have to have some empathy and some understanding around to realize that money, I can tell you this right now, I talked to my grandfather, in fact, I did an episode with him on our show, which was awesome, he's 93, I talked to him every week, love the man, and I was, and he went through, he lived, he was born in 1929, like he wow. was, you know, lived through the 30s in New York, one of nine boys, and I always talked to him about this, like he said, we never had any money, but we had what we needed, and so the topic around money in the generational aspect is newer. Let's be fair. I mean, this new age of financial literacy and financial education and actually having money be kind of forward thinking is a little bit new. So I think it's important to start there and just 
take a deep breath and have some empathy with yourself and with your parents, whoever you're talking to or whatever family member you're talking to and realize, get into their shoes about where they're coming from. It's not that they're trying to hide anything. I don't think it's not that they're trying to like, maybe they're not thinking you're trying to take the money either. It's a foreign concept for them to talk with their children about money because likely their parents didn't talk to them right. about their money. And I think it's important if we realize kind of just where we're at and sitting here in 2023, we're barely a generation away, right? A hundred years maximum. That's one generation, one and a half, one and a quarter yeah. from an era in our country that was just way different. And um, I think that starts there and, and you realize, and it's hard because you do want to get through to them because it's saying like, yeah, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not saying I need the money or I'm, I want it. I'm trying to make sure like you've done well for yourself or it doesn't matter about the money size either. It's the goals that they want to have where they want it to go. And you're trying to steward that. Yeah. In fact, uh, just three, four years ago, I discovered for the first time in 50 some odd years that my mother wants to be buried in the same plot as her mother. Interesting. And yeah. Never had that conversation come up ever in my lifetime. And I'm like, what? Like, I always assumed I'd just cremate her and scatter her ashes over, you know, an ocean or something that she liked. And no, that's not what she wants. But I just barely found out. And it's interesting you um, you mentioned that because literally the, the first number one on my checklist that I went through as an executor or a trustee, because many people out there, many of my clients tend to be the executor or the trustee of their parents' estate. And the number one thing I say is you got to start, the whole process starts with the death certificate, which you get through the whole process. But it's really administering the wishes from the trust. And this is funny, we're talking here, it's Monday. Uh, last Thursday, I met with a client from a text message I got from him on Tuesday saying, hey, my mother has passed. Now, I didn't know his mother was sick and it was kind of sudden. He texted me last Tuesday, not even a week ago. We met on Thursday and we went through it. And in that meeting, Heather, it's funny you mentioned that, in that meeting, right, he had his will and trust and I was reading through it and we were going through it. And I'm like, hey, did you know she wanted to be cremated? He goes, no, I didn't. Wow. And I just happened to be reading the section. Yeah. And he goes, he goes, that's so funny because my brother and I are talking about the funeral right now and we didn't know that. And so it's interesting, like, it's amazing just starting there and then you just kind of go from there, right? Because you want to honor the life, you want to honor the wishes. And then, you know, that's the, that's a, all a part of the emotional side of losing a loved one. I mean, we can't gloss over the fact that when we talk about a subject matter like this, that, you know, hopefully it's later in life, but there's a lot of emotions that go on. You know, yeah. and um, even if it is later in life, there's a lot of emotions. And so dealing with that first helps clear the mind for then the rational what to do next and how to do it. We need to take a break. When we come back, we'll go into some of the steps we should be making prepping for losing a loved one. So we'll be right back with Brad Barrett. He is a managing director and partner at One Capital Management. Welcome back to Money Making Sense, the show that talks about all things money. Today, we are talking about how to prepare a checklist if you are losing a loved one, or even if you don't know you're losing a loved one. What I've learned is maybe we should work on that checklist a lot earlier than we expect. So joining me today is Brad Barrett. He is a partner and managing director at One Capital Management. So, Brad, you had mentioned what just briefly that one of the things that when somebody dies is you need to have their death certificate right away. Do I just need one? Uh, that's a great question. I think that's probably the biggest thing. I always recommend you're going to need more than you think is what I say. 
And so I, I get the question, well, how many is that? And I would say, look, it's worth getting 10. Yeah, I think it's like $20. It, states are different, but it's about $20 per copy, something like that. But it's worth it. You don't realize how many you need for different things. Yeah. So what are some of those things that I need a death certificate for? Yeah. So any any account-related items within the estate, right? So you're going to need it for custodians, whether maybe they have investment accounts or, you know, at, at, uh, or IRAs or retirement accounts. You're going to need those for the providers. That could be Schwab, Fidelity, TD Ameritrade, uh, Pershing. You know, those custodians are going to require as an initial start to their process of going through the estate plan or whatever the, the, the beneficiaries are is a death um, a death certificate insurances they're also going to require um, a death certificate as well um, some counties and states depending on where you're going through with regards to um, the real estate holdings that they might have will require it uh, so you know right there is probably two three four at minimum um, and then I just think it's good having some copies as well because a lot of them actually require um, originals which is what versus copies oh, wow. um, so I think it's important to to remember that and then if you get into products, for example, within the investment world, they will need their own set of original copies, you know, like whether it's an annuity or a sub product within a, a custodian. Um, so I just think it's wise to get somewhere between five and 10 is a, is a good number. The death certificate, of course, is after your loved one has passed. But what are some things that we should be doing specifically leading up to somebody passing away? If you're in the camp that, you know, you have a loved one who is aging and, you know, I think it's really important to walk through verbally with them, as we were just talking about before the break, right, around their wishes, like verbally, and then kind of matching that up with what's written, hopefully, in their will or trust and making sure they have one. I think it's really important in that arena as well is a POA, a power of attorney. You know, if you're listening here and watching here and you're the trustee or the executor of the estate, this is speaking right to you. You know, you're going to want to make sure you talk with the estate planning attorney who drafted or did um, your parents or your loved one that you're the executor or trustee of the estates um, will and, and trust. Now, many clients I, I've I've talked with, their trusts for their parents were done 30, 40 years ago, and their estate planning attorney is no longer in business. I get that a lot, right? Yeah. So typically what happens in that camp, this is typical, not all the time is they'll have a succession plan in place. So you'll be able to say, okay, I'm no longer in practice, but so-and-so is taking over my practice and they can help answer those questions and get that done. So I think while they're still living in that camp, a power of attorney is really important, especially on financial assets, because uh, in that world, it's very hard and you want to make sure that you're able to transact and pay for even the little things. You know, um, It's like amazing how many little things that we have that can stack up with you, especially while you're going through the emotional grieving process of when that loved one passes. So my parents just had that, the the will, the attorney that they went with has now retired. And mm. so I've asked them to get a new attorney and they didn't say anything about, oh, he told us who we should go to next. So I kind of have the feeling maybe it was just like a guy, you know, single attorney in one office. And they haven't, as far as I know, haven't found another attorney. So please speak to them directly and tell them what they need to do. <laughs> well, I would say right away, I would talk with maybe their estate planning attorney if they have and see if they can draft a power of attorney based on the last will. Most estate planning attorneys I've worked with in two decades of being an advisor, helping clients, most estate planning attorneys don't really want to take on a trust that was written by another attorney, mostly because of liability and responsibility risk. And I'm, I'm, I'm aware, remember, you got remember they're attorneys, right? So they're right. <laughs> thinking of, right. But 
I think given that situation, you can help them with an, a draft based on what the trust was done. So I would start there. You know, if the person is still living, you could do an amendment or a, an update to the trust while they were still living. It depends on if they are what what the law states is prudent man theory. If they're of sound mind um, and prudent to transact, that's a whole other camp of items, right? And then, by the way, we're just talking about the financial items. There's also the hems and hems provisions of the healthcare, yeah. right? Those are really important too. Like what, if they become incapacitated, right? What they want you to do while they're going through that process. So it, I was, we were saying this before the show, right? We were kind of talking and it, it's one of those things where this is a hard subject because it's very colorful and not black and white. You know, there, there isn't a, one of my sayings, there's really no such thing as a clean estate. And I've seen them of all sizes. I've seen hundreds of thousands of dollars thrown into estate planning attorney fees for, for very high estates. I've seen ones done for a thousand dollars on a kitchen table. You know what I mean? Yeah. And everywhere in between. And when the actual event happens and all these things, there's just, you just, there's just so many unknowns, right? You don't know how they're going to pass. You don't know what illnesses they may come down with or how long they're going to live or just where they're going to be at that time period. If they're in your home and their home and a nursing care facility, I mean, there's just so many variables it's it's really hard to give a point list. That's why my the checklist I went through was really just a like a live feed from a client conversation I was having, which is very customary of our show. Is I want to take things that we hear from our clients and walk through it because if they're dealing with it, likely many other people are. Yeah. So to them, I would basically say that's a tricky one. Again, this is a gray area. That's why I said it's colorful, not necessarily black and white. Talk with an estate planning attorney local to them. Maybe if they have one, see what they can do, and and that's kind of in their camp to help direct you. But they do need to get a different will or amended from the original one from the attorney that is now retired. Not necessarily. Sorry, they don't need to get it. They don't need to get it amended or updated if it's fine. But if they if there's no power of attorney on it or hems and hems provision to be able for them to transact on their uh, behalf, which most trusts should have it in there. If it's not in there, then you want to have some conversation with them to figure out how best you do that. About this checklist, what other items were on there? So it was one of those things where it wasn't an exhaustive list by any means. And it wasn't necessarily, I tried to make it in chronological order, but again, it's a lot of things are going to happen at the same time. Yeah. So I've always shared when I, when I share this, like take it with a grain of salt, put it into your own situation. Okay. And it doesn't matter if it's a large estate, small estate, doesn't really matter. It's kind of transactional. But I think this is again, after you've gone through the stages of the emotional grieving. So I think that's really important. Look, I, I, I cannot stress that enough. That's important to make sure, you know, you grieve with those who grieve, have joy with those who have joy and, and go through that first, because you can't go into what you have to do if you got this like roadblock of not dealing with whatever, how, how are you to deal with it? But first things first is making sure that the funeral, as we just talked about, the wishes of what, how they want to be cremated, buried, with whom they want to be buried, as you mentioned, within your own family, right? That's really important. Post-funeral, post-celebration of life, if you will, is kind of kicks off the whole conversation around the checklist of, I think right away you want to talk with the estate planning attorney. I think that's that's key point number one. Or be in conversation with them um, around how to best read the trust. The it's called precatory language. It's the it's the specific language within the trust that um, you know uh, needs to be abided by essentially. Um, I think that that's huge. And then some of the like the fingers off of that, if you will, is kind of coordinating with a lot of the things that are out there. You want to talk with the Social Security Administration, depending on your loved one's age is a big one. Um, you also want to talk with credit facilities, things like um, Equifax, Experian, TransUnion. 
That being said on that one, though, I've shared with clients that the Social Security Administration will let them know okay. of the deceased Social Security number. So they will let them know. But I've shared with them that it typically is pretty delayed. Welcome to government. Right. So I, <laughs> right. It's, it's not a bad thing necessarily, but I just want people to know about that. So you could do it yourself. I think you also want to make sure in the forefront here, after talking with the estate planning attorney, that you talk with any financial advisors or, or investment managers that your loved one might have had and work through the financial assets of the accounts. Uh, I think it's important that um, you, again, the death certificate will come into play here. You want to submit those to all the right accounts. Make sure you understand the rules around which account types they might have. For example, uh, if a loved one has an IRA and you are not a spouse, there's different rules to inherit that IRA than a spouse would have. So there's a clarification there. There's a spousal IRA rollover versus an inherited IRA. I won't go into the details, but it's important to know. I think it's also important to understand if they have after-tax accounts, things like a just a joint account or a brokerage account um, that have investments in them. There is something out there called step-up basis, which I think is really important. It's called date of death, meaning fair market values of the date of the loved one's passing. You want to make sure that you submit the death certificate so that's marked at the custodian. The past couple of things I mentioned all happen or can happen at the same time. My point is it's not all just chronological, right. right? You go through the funeral stages, reach out to the estate planning attorney, probably in the same day, same time period, you want to reach out to the financial advisor, kind of run the, the simultaneously the items. The financial advisor will likely want a copy of the trust just to kind of make sure they have it on file, you know, and uh, whether that's your financial advisor or theirs or both, I have seen that a lot too. You also want to talk with your CPA or your loved one's CPA, letting them know you know, obviously it depends on the time of year when they pass, you know, it's important to let them know because last year I had a client pass on December 28th oh, and no. there's just no way to get that estate done within that same calendar year. Yeah. Mind you, it's very likely that an estate won't be cleaned up and taken care of if someone passed on January 1st for that year either. Uh, there's a lot of things to consider here, which I'll get into. But what the CPA comes involved here is when it comes to step-up basis, making sure the custodian has the date of death, the, the certificate. Because if your loved one, let's say, had something for, they bought a security or a stock for $100,000, and now it's worth $200,000 years later, right? If they were, while they were living, were to sell that, they would typically pay um, capital gains tax on it if it was after a year or ordinary income if they were pulling that within a year. But upon passing... They get what's called step-up basis, meaning that the date of death, let's say at the time they passed was $200,000, that's the new cost basis. So when you as the inheritor sell that, there shouldn't be any taxable gains, uh, plus or minus a few days or weeks. And this is, again, a conversation you want to have with your CPA. So not necessarily providing tax advice there, but just some wherewithal when it comes to the after-tax account. So again, that's just a simple example. You can spend a whole hour right. <laughs> just on inheriting IRAs or tax deferred accounts versus taxable or after tax accounts. Um, and then you get into real estate. You know, I think it's really important if your, you know, parents had a house, same step up basis applies there as well. The death certificate will be required at the county to make sure, you know, when you sell it and you tell the CPA, you know, what the, what the sell price was, difference from the fair market value, you got to kind of work through that as well. And so you can see, by the way, I mean, this, this checklist, it's, it's, it's like, you know, I get sometimes like, are you, which one do we do first or, 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 or what chronological order? And, you know, after the initial conversation, I'll say this, I would work and make sure you know who your parents or your loved ones advisors were. 
start there, right? Your state planning attorney, I think is key, probably first their financial advisor and then their CPA. You start with theirs first, then you talk with yours because a lot of times, at least the good ones will be able to link up. Like I have three or four cases going on right now with my clients where I am not their loved ones advisor, but I'm working with their loved ones advisors to help them with the estate because my client's one of the siblings within the estate. The checklist, it's, again, it's not an exhaustive one, uh, but it, it's just an idea to put on your mind to say, okay, initially after the emotional stage and the funeral is done, you want to make the calls. You don't, you don't want to, you don't want to sit on it too long. One of my clients actually has mentioned to all the CPAs saying, hey, I, my advisor will be reaching out to you. I give you the permission to speak to them as the trustee because I need their his help uh, as he's dealing with other family matters. Yeah, um, I think I have been pushing really hard the last few months. And I, so I do feel bad for my mother sometimes because, you know, she's more the conduit that I'm talking to. Um, mm -hmm. But for me, I'm trying to do all the pragmatic stuff now at least as much as I can to get them going on all of this because I don't want to be in the middle of this emotional turmoil yeah. and having to to deal with it and I I think sometimes I frustrate my mother or that's where I get the feeling like she thinks I'm just trying to hasten her demise and I'm like you yeah. don't understand like for me I need all these ducks in a row where as best they can be in order yeah. for me to then deal with the emotional stuff. I kind of do it backwards. Like it's all everything in a row. And then that way I'm prepared for when stuff happens. And my mother kind of does it opposite. And so we are not on the same wavelength. <laughs> and, and, you know, that's a great example. I mean, I think back to our original conversation before the last break was, you know, around, I guess in, in, a, in a way it's like meeting the, your loved one where they are, right? Because we might have our own, way of doing things that is just not how they're doing it end of the day it's their estate right so we kind of have to have some humility in a way and kind of come to the table like meet them where they are and that starts with a conversation say you got to kind of test it right like you're asking the questions and if she pushes back say okay that's interesting you know and maybe you can have the conversation again with her saying you know do you think i'm trying to hasten your demise because i want to be very clear I, i'm i'm not and i'll i'll step back but when god calls you back up i i want to celebrate your life and not have to like you know you can come to it from a from a a point of empathy, a point of sympathy for her and just letting her know where you're coming from. I, I think a lot of times with my clients, I, I counsel them in that regard, mainly because just of their experience from an advisor. I mean, over near two decades now, I've right or wrong, I've had to handle estate cases. And for the most part, I'm not emotionally involved, right, as they are. And so you want that, you want to find that counsel that can kind of give you the, the pragmatic and help you. But I think when you are talking about a loved one, there's no way around the emotions. There's no way around it. Like you got to go through. And I love your idea. I think that's a, that's how you want to do it. I think matching that up with how your mom wants to do it is where you find that common ground, but it takes conversation, right? It takes the questions. Yeah. It takes probably multiple conversations. It's probably not just done in one. Right? Yeah, exactly. Um, and then I have to do it with my stepfather and my father. Yeah. Yeah. And then, you know, obviously for those out there, when you have like, I'm, I'm with you, I have two step parents on both sides. But you're also dealing with siblings as well. And it's interesting how we all grow. So you you want to make sure, especially if you're the trustee and the executor, I always tell my clients, no matter if you have a good relationship or a bad relationship with your siblings who are likely also beneficiaries of your loved one's estate, I think it's really important to make sure that you write down and keep a record of everything you're doing after upon the passing of the loved one. Not a trustee fee, but be reimbursed for the personal expenses 
of being the trustee or being the executor because trust me there's believe it or not it adds up it's there well yeah Everything if you're getting from, 10 death certificates at 20 a pop and that's just right that that's 200 bucks right there yeah then you got celebration of life and then this is also mind you this is where it kind of gets gray right because it's like okay wait a minute do you have access to their bank accounts posthumously right to be able to use that bank account for the celebration of life did the trust or will say that did they set aside money a lot of times i've been seeing um life insurance policies which we kind of spoke about briefly and i want to get back into because we talked about the financial accounts mm -hmm. we also want to talk to insurance carriers right and i'm not talking about just life insurance also health insurance just understanding your especially if your loved one had a group insurance plan let's say through a previous employer because you're also going to have a conversation there with pensions that might still be around as well and just working through that those kind of items but yeah, I mean, it's amazing how it just it just adds up. I see these insurance policies here. Is one of them specifically for a lot of um, policies in the 70s and 80s were actually sold as, okay, this is your life insurance if something happens to you. And here's a small little piece just for celebration of life and funerals. So it's interesting. It's a totally wow. random subsect, but it's out there. And actually, the your parents or your loved ones took it out for that reason. So again, it's the whole honoring your loved one's wishes. Unfortunately, we are out of time, but Brad, do you practice in all states or are you only limited to helping as a financial advisor where you are? Uh, no, we're a SEC registered, um, registered investment advisor. So we work with clients all over the country. And so we've been blessed to be able to do that for over 20 years now. And what is the, your website if people are interested? Yeah, our website is onecapital.com. You can also follow us on our YouTube channel at Make Your Money Matter with Brad Barrett. And the Make Your Money Matter is where you had the checklist for your loved ones who may be passing. Yes, it was actually the audio podcast. So our YouTube channel is Make Your Money Matter. We also have an audio podcast also called Make Your Money Matter. Actually, in the opening of that, as you probably heard, I basically said, hey, look, this may not affect you right now, but the cathartic event, right or wrong, will happen. So flag it, mark it, and come back to it. Well, thank you so much, Brad Barrett. Again, you are the managing director and partner at One Capital Management. And I think it's just helpful to know that, oh, yeah, I've got to think about this, whether you actually do it right now or not, just knowing it's out there. But I also feel like my brain just kind of like is melting and coming out of my ears at the same time. <laughs> yeah, I get that comment a lot. I try to fix that, but there's just so much there when I talk right. about this subject matter. I swear, I'm trying to get better at it. I really am. But there's just a lot there, especially in, you know, a 20, 30 minute segment. It's hard, but um, there's a lot there. And I just talk with a financial advisor. They're, the good ones will be really good at helping you through that process. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks for listening. You can email me with any questions or topics you want to hear about at hkelly at ksl.com. That's h-k-e-l-l-y at ksl.com. And because this is Money Making Sense, you can subscribe for free on Spotify, Overcast, Apple Podcasts, anywhere you listen to your favorite podcast, and you'll never miss another episode. Thanks for being a Money Making Sense listener. Follow your common sense on the social media, Money Making Sense, on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram.